amma var. Alhamdulillah, tonight is the 26th of December in the year 2022. And Alhamdulillah, we've completed the first week, the seventh night that we're going through the illustrious and blessed life of the eminent companion Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik and I spent a few sessions taking a glimpse into some of his blessed family members so another one of his noble family members was Sayyidina Bara ibn Malik and this was his full brother so like I mentioned Abdullah ibn Abu Talha was his half brother they had the same mother, Um Sulaim, uh, but different fathers. Bara ibn Malik was his full brother. Sayyidina Bara ibn al-Malik radiyallahu, he lived amongst the Ashab al-Suffa and was of those about whom our beloved messenger had said, sallallahu alayhi wa similar to his paternal uncle Anas ibn Nadr radiyallahu, that if he takes an oath, Allah Ta'ala will fulfill it. In Tirmidhi number 3,854 and dusty bodies, wearing a pair of ragged garments. No one heeds them because of their shabby condition. Yet, if they were to adjure by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He would confirm them as righteous, i.e. He would fulfill their oath. One of them is Bara ibn al-Malik, radiyallahu subhanallah. So let's look at this. So this is a sahih hadith. So the Prophet was highlighting وسلم, that there's some people outwardly they look like they're destitutes. Mm-hmm. Meaning you would consider them to be people of little significance. Mm-hmm. And then the Prophet وسلم, said, however, if that person swears a qasm, Allah will fulfill it. Why? Because he wants to confirm them as righteous. Mm-hmm. Then who did the Prophet mention? One of them is Bara ibn al-Malik. So he specifically mentioned him. He goes, Anas's brother. He goes, he's one of them. Outwardly, he doesn't look like much. But if he swears an oath, Allah will fulfill it. And I mentioned a few nights back that the uncle of Bara and Anas, Anas ibn al-Nadr also had that quality. The Prophet said in Bukhari and Muslim, that they are people who Allah confirms their oaths. And Anas ibn another he mentioned. He swore an oath, Allah confirmed it. So now what's interesting, he was from the Ashab al-Suf. So have they a special status? Who are the Ashab al-Suf? So the word Sufa, the word Sofa is very interesting. In English, you got the word Sofa. That means a seat where people sit. The word Sofa actually comes from Sofa in Arabic. Sufa means a raised platform. So in Masjid al-Nabi, the very first university of Islam was the Ashab al-Suf. The companions came and all they were concerned about was learning Islam. 
And they stayed in the masjid. The Prophet honored them. And it was a little raised platform. And he had a great affection for them. So Bara ibn Malik would stay there amongst the Ashab of Suf. So there's a hadith. The hadith is in Tirmadi Sahih. And some of the Ashab of Suf were so destitute, they didn't eat for days on end. So what would happen is they would offer salat behind the Prophet during the Fadd Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and some of them would faint. So once a Bedouin was praying and one of the Ashab of Suf, he actually fainted. So the Bedouin next to him, next to him, he says, what's wrong with these people? In other words, they're distracting us in salat. Later the Prophet told the Ashab of Suf, if only you knew how much Allah has in store for you, you would earnestly wish to be even more in a difficult state. And so the Prophet praised them. In other words, he goes, you're, you're suffering for the sake of the deen. You're, you're literally starving and you're destitute. But you don't know what Allah has got in store for you. If you knew, you would want to even more be going through hardships. So many of the companions were from the Ashab al-Suf. Bara ibn Malik is one of them. So think about that. His odes would get fulfilled. And he's also those very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sayyidina Bara ibn al-Malik is famously remembered to be amongst the most courageous warriors in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hafiz Sarraj in his tarikh, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 297-8 of the New English Translation, Anas radiyallahu he relates, During the battle of Yamama, Khalid ibn al-Walid radiyallahu called out, Arise, O Bara radiyallahu when Bara ibn al-Malik radiyallahu mounted his horse, he praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he said, Ya Ahl al-Madina, O people of al-Madina, there is no Madina for you today. All that should remain for you should be the one Allah and paradise. He then led the attack with others and the people of Yamama were defeated. So now let's look at this. So this is a summary. Anas is summarizing what happened here. So who singled out Bara ibn Malik? Khalid ibn Walid. So now think about that. He's the sword of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why is he single? Because it was a critical moment. He needed the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He goes, stand Bara, meaning do what you, Allah Ta'ala has created you for. And what did he say? He's on his horse. First, he praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he tells the people of Medina, why? Because he's from the Ansar. He goes, there is no Medina for you today, meaning no home, you're not going back. All you have is Allah the Almighty and Paradise. Then they launched and they were defeated, the apostates. So was he critical in Yamama? Yes, he was the turning point. This, as will be shown, was at the most critical point of that fateful encounter. Mm. And in details, Hafiz Bahubi, Al-Isaba, volume 1, page 143, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 298 of the New English Translation, Hafiz Saraj in his tariq relates similar. Sayyidina Al-Bara himself, he relates, On the day we fought Musaylimah, I encountered a man who was called the donkey of Yamama. He was a large and powerfully built man who carried a white sword. I engaged with him. When I found an opening, I struck his leg and it came off as if by mistake and he fell on his back. 
I then sheathed my sword, took his and struck him with it till it broke. So now there's a glimpse. So what did Al-Bara do? So there was a, you know, like you get champions. When you watch those films, unfortunately we're the film nation now, right? And you get those champions coming out. So this was a champion of the false prophet. He was called the donkey. Not in a term of an insult, in a term of strength. In other words, he could take on, you know, tens, twenty people. They were called the donkey of your mama. So who engaged him? Bara. And what did he say? Because he was a large, powerfully built man. He had a white sword. That's interesting. What's this white sword business? So why did he mention the white sword? Because Bara says, I'm going to take that. Then he goes, I engaged with him. And this shows he was a warrior. He goes, when I found an opening. Meaning he wasn't bachara, right? You know, you just stay away and he's gone. Because they had an you know, encounter. When I found an opening, where was the opening? His legs. Meaning he must have ducked. And he goes, his legs are exposed. And he goes, I struck his legs. And he goes, they both came off. So let me ask you a question. How strong is that? When his legs came off, obviously he fell. He goes, I took my sword back into my sheath. I took his wife because I wanted it. And I struck him with it until it broke. <laughs> so in other words, he wanted it. But he had so much anger against the shaitan, he broke the sword, the white sword. So there's a glimpse. So he wasn't just giving encouragement, he was setting the stage as well. Moselem are now seeing the collapse of his front line. He hastily made a retreat into one of the fortress orchards, later named the Garden of Death. Now think about this. Is it permissible for a prophet to retreat? No. He fled. What sort of a prophet is this? Right? So imagine he's, he's fled. And there's a whole narrative about this. Khalid bin Walid, he knew he had to get to him. But he was heavily guarded. So to quote a long narration short, he started saying, can I speak to you? He gets a bit closer. He gets a bit closer. He gets, and then all of a sudden he pounces. And then at that point, Moselem legs it. But at that point, his own forces, what did they see? They saw their prophet fleeing. And that's what Khalid wanted. And after he saw this psychological impact, he gave orders for the attack. Then the shaitan retreated into an orchard, a huge orchard where he thought he'd be safe. Abu Sa'id al-Khutbi, he relates, Abad ibn Bishr, Abu Dujana and Bara ibn Malik led 400 Ansar to the orchard, where the enemies had fortified themselves. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabakat, volume 3, page 441. Hayat al volume 2, page 253, the New English translation. So three names. Abad ibn Bishr. Is he Joe Bloggs? Or can anybody mention anything about him? Joe Bloggs, mashallah. This is the sadness, right? You I'm mentioning names, you should be thinking, who are these people? Abad ibn Bishr was the one who remember famously guarded the encampment of the Prophet with Ammar ibn Yasr and when he was guarding he offered tahajj then he was being struck by arrows and he refused to break his prayer well eventually he woke up Ammar and Ammar got up and he saw the wounds and he goes why didn't you alert me earlier because I was offering salat and I didn't want to terminate it but then I realized the Prophet's life's in danger also that's authentic hadith in Abu Dawood also Abad he had a light he, once he was traveling back home the Prophet gave him a stick it turned into a light so he was given gifts by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he was a warrior and he was also blessed with martyrdom 
Abad ibn Bishr, Abu Dujan, anybody know who he is? Mashallah, that's Sheikh in Dan Ba'amulod. Anything else? Abu Dujan, anything special about, uh, apart from wearing a turban? Abu Jal wore a turban, that's what Umrudha said to me. So Abu Dujan, he was the one who the Prophet وسلم, he, on the day of Uhud, he says, who will take this sword and fulfill the rights of it? So Zubair gets up. He says, I will, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet وسلم, turns away from him. He says, who will fulfill the rights of this sword? Eventually Abu Dajana goes, I will. The Prophet gives it to Abu Dajana. Zubair feels hurt. Why? Because he was, I am the cousin of the Prophet. He says, why did he give the sword to Abu Dujana? He says, I'm going to keep an eye on him. So in the battle of Uhud, Zubair is keeping an eye on Abu Dujana and he fought amazingly. But he found a weakness with Abu Dujana. So after the battle, he goes, MashaAllah Abu Dujana, you fulfilled the rights of the sword, but you let a woman off. Why did you strike that woman? So Abu Dujana goes, how can I strike with the sword of Rasulullah a woman? And who was that woman? Hind. And this was before she had, you know, chewed Hamza's uh, liver. So then Zubair goes, Rasulullah Allah is messy, meaning I would have killed her. Right? But Abu Dujara held back. Also, what one of his traits was, was he used to boast in Baal. So during a battle, he was actually in, taunting the kofar. He goes, come on. He goes, come you come out. He goes, I'm ready to fight. He goes, you know, which one of your cowards are willing to come for? And he used to prance with his horse. So the Prophet Wasallam said, Allah Ta'ala hates this. But he loves it here. Meaning this is pride. But in battle, you have to show this. This is in Tabaran. So Abu Dujana, and also, like the brother mentioned, he would put a red bandana on, not a red turban. I think he's getting confused with Darul Ulum, right? He put a red bandana on, right, around his head. And he goes, this is the bandana of death, meaning I'm ready to die. So we'll make to the report now. Let's hopefully see what happens. Abad ibn Bishr, Abu Dujana, Bara ibn Malik, leading 400 Ansar. Suddenly, mashallah, you know what's going to happen. Why have they been chosen? Because they're all warriors of the highest rank and they're leading 400 to the orchard Muhammad ibn Sirim relates the Muslims reached the orchard and they found the gate locked to their surprise Bara ibn Malik thereupon sat on a shield and he said to the others lift me up with your spears give me additional height so I can scale the wall and then throw me into them they just lifted the shield with their spears and threw him over the wall into the orchard. <laughs> this is in Behaki, volume 9, page 44, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 298 of the New English Translation. So before even moving on, what sort of a suicide mission is this? Thousands of unbelievers are inside the orchard. And don't forget, they're ready for battle. They're formed in lines. They weren't having kajur, right? So if you throw one person into there, what's he going to do? <laughs> So why did he want to go inside, take on an entire army? Because he needed to open the gate. So how did he get it? And you get this impression that there was no even like, you know, work it out, let's work out how to get inside the orchard. He could just lift me up, throw me in, leave the rest to me. And they did it. 
His remarkable bravery can be gauged from his brother Anas, who further relates, in Al-Isaba, volume 1, page 143, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 212 of the New English Translation, during the battle against Musaylam at the Layah, Bara radiallahu threw himself onto the people in the orchard where the enemies had converged. He then fought them until he was able to open the gate of the orchard. In another report, when the Muslims joined up with him after the gate had been opened, they found he had already killed 10 of the unbelievers. This is in Behaki, volume 9, page 44. Ayat sahaba volume 2, page 298-9 of the New English Translation. So think about this. They thrown him in, they thinking, well, mashallah, he's probably got martyred. Gate opens. That's the first shock. They go in, they see 10 dead. <laughs> then the report continues, Bara sustained over 80 arrow and sword wounds and had to be carried away to the camp for treatment. Khalid bin Walid stayed with him and nursed him for a whole month. This is the report. So now picture the scene, very hard to picture it, but okay, you can kind of work out he's been thrown over, right? So he's facing the enemies. When you face your enemies and you've got thousands facing, yeah, what hope have you got? But his mission isn't to fight them. His mission is to turn his back against them and open the gate. Was this a normal gate? Like, you know, a little gate that you open for teachers up. You know, just imagine what he had to do. Maybe lift a huge, you know, bolt or take it out or do something of that nature. He's now totally exposed. His back's, you know, he's open for martyrdom. What little glimpse do we get about his brain? He killed 10. So to get to the gate, he had to kill 10. Then, it doesn't mention what he did. All it says was his injuries. Over 80 arrow and sword wounds. So sword wounds are close range. Arrows, they were fighting at him. So imagine he's getting struck left, right and centre. But he's opened the gate. And who to honour him, nursed him for a month. The sword of Allah. Now think about that. To impress Khalid bin Walid, is that an easy matter? He impressed him too much. He goes, he needs to be looked after. His bravery can also be gauged from Umar's words. Umar radiallahu. When he later said, as related by Muhammad ibn Sirin, Bara ibn Malik radiallahu should not be appointed as the commander of an expedition, for this would spell destruction, i.e. for he cares not for his own life, and would thus lead others to places where the risk would be too much for them, because I forbid you from making him an emir. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, Qanzul Umal, volume 5, page 144, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 299 of the New English Translation. I think about that. How can you not, why would you not appoint an Amir? You think, okay, he hasn't got the qualifications, he hasn't got the set skills. Bara was not appointed as an Amir because he's too brave. Well, that one, uh, right? He goes, what do you mean? He, he goes, Umar goes, no. He goes, do not. Point him an Amir because he would destroy his force. Meaning he, he's not bothered. He's ready to go. Now think about it. Go back to the previous report. <laughs> Imagine if you told, you could come on then, over the wall. Right? They're thinking, we mean over the wall. He's doing something which is unique. So Umar goes, don't do it. Because he's allowed to fight, but do not make him a, make him a commander. So what happened in the orchard? 
myself must put pussy came out. Right? That's the simple answer. But, just a few details. So, they flooded in the Saab. So, initially, because it was a bottleneck entrance, the unbelievers still had the advantage. Because obviously, they, you know, they, the, the Saab are restrained. But as they got their elbow move, elbow, you know, room to maneuver, then the odds started going in favor of the Muslims. Whatever the case, where was Bara'i in all this? <laughs> He's right in the middle. So, you know, there wasn't a stature there. Like, okay, let's take him out. Right? He's probably still fighting. Eventually, Musaylimah, the unbelievers who thought he was a prophet, because where was this victory you promised us? So Musaylimah goes, fight on, O Banu Hanifa, fight on. And then the report goes, his face, he started forming in his mouth. And the narrations mention that the evil was now coming out in his face. But he was a brave fighter as well. So they were fighting. And then all the Sahaba locked onto him. So who were the ones who locked onto Musaylima? One was Abu Dujana, the one with the you know turban as the brother mentioned, right? The other was um, Wahsi, the one who had martyred Hamza with the spear. One was Hazrat Muawiyah, he wanted to get one in. They were all locking onto him because when I get that shaitan. So Wahsi was the one. Why? Because for 10 years he was carrying a huge burden. He martyred Hamza. So he was thinking, Ya Allah, please allow me to undo what I've done. And Allah Ta'ala allowed him to undo what he did with the same spear. He kept it. And then after he threw the spear, it went straight through Musaylim. And as the spear went straight through him, Abu Dujana got a strike in as well. Struck him. And Abu Dujana, he goes, I've killed the false prophet. And his defense went down. And then Abu Dujana was struck fatally. He was martyred. Meaning he was that ecstatic, he forgot about the defense. But he managed to get the strike. But it was Wahsi's spear that killed the shaitan. And later Wahsi would say, with this spear, I have killed the best of men after the Prophet. And I have killed the worst. So why is that fascinating? Because repentance, an ideal repentance, is for you to undo what you did. So if you're a drug dealer, then you repent, no problem. Mm-hmm. Allah Ta'ala accepts it. But the ideal repentance of a drug dealer is to do charity work, mm-hmm. to undo the damage. This is the ideal. So where do we get that from? Wahsi. He, did, he undid what he did with the same spear. So note, Bara ibn Malik was instrumental here in the battle of the, against the, the false prophet, Musaylimah. And he was used by Sayyidina Khalid at the critical moment. Mm-hmm. So all I mentioned today was now talking about the full blood brother of Sayyidina Anas, Sayyidina Bara ibn Malik radiyallahu And he was another phenomenon. Note these giants who were around Anas radiyallahu He grew up in an environment of Firdosis. <laughs> Nobody you think he's a pious person, he's a decent bloke. Firdosi, 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 everybody's Firdosi. Like, and he's grown up amongst them. So what do you expect to happen to Sayyidina Anas? He didn't just come out of a vacuum. And all of these were his family members. And notice the reports, he's narrating Anas. So he was also there at the Battle of Yamam. This was of course during Abu Bakr Siddiq's Khalifat, when the apostasy arose. SubhanAllah. Are there any questions you'd like to ask?
سبحان ربي حمدي سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل ان الانسان لفي خسر الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات والواسب الحق والواسب الصبر صدق الله